Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Good morning, Grace family. How are we doing this morning? Good to be back. So, so thankful to be here. This is always home, baby. This is always home. It always feels like family, so it's glad. It's thankful to be back. Hey, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 7. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 7. Verses 25 through 53 was going to be this morning. We have a chunk to get through, but I'm excited, man. Have you ever had a cheeseburger at a restaurant? Yeah, I'm talking about food. I'm going there, right? And you order it, and you get it, and it's on your plate, and you're like, oh, my Lord, how do I eat this? Because it's so delicious and so big. Like, I don't even, do I cut it? Do I just dive in? And so, man, we got a good, delicious burger on the table this morning, which is called God's Word, and we're just going to go at it one bite at a time, all right? And as you're turning there, here's what, man, I just want to come out the gates, guns blazing. Like, God is on the move this morning. Like, I feel like I've already preached. I feel like I already ran a marathon. And yes, I know I'm out of shape, but that's not why I feel that way. Like, we had a time of prayer that happens here every morning before service starts, and man, it's crazy. I was back there, like, crying and and laughing at the same time, because what I felt like I was watching is people speak things that I've been praying to God for the past two weeks. Like, not just the same heart alignment, like the same words. And man, I just felt like God is going to do something this morning. That's why we changed it up a little bit. We believe that, that, like, the expectations for Holy Spirit to move today are extremely high, Because we have a God who's extremely excellent, and we believe he wants to do some amazing things today. And I'm like, I'll go do that by myself. But to know that there's the entire crew of people leading this this morning who are in alignment with what God is doing is amazing. And so so that's what God is is doing today. He wants to to bring some things to the table. So I want to deposit four words this morning before we dive into the text, because I think these four words are what God is going to bring. And not just like in increments, like he wants to overwhelm us with these this morning. Like he wants to lavish these things out, to pour them out, to, I would even say, overwhelm us with these things this morning. And here they are, the four things, life. Life. The whole book of John is, is getting us to see that Jesus is life. And, and man, I just want to go out on the limb and say today that some of us might still be walking in death. Some of us may have life, but are still acting as if we're dead. And Jesus this morning is saying, I have life. And last time I was here, I was talking about this idea of not just surviving, but thriving in life. That's what God has for you today. Depth. God wants you to go deeper this morning. And when I say deep, I don't mean like this holy ascent that makes you feel better than other people around you. I'm talking about being overwhelmed with things that you thought you already knew. Like God wants to overwhelm you today with grace. You think you know grace, he wants to overwhelm you with grace. You think you understand mercy and compassion and forgiveness and love. And God is here to say, you've only tasted a little bit, but I have so much more. He wants to take you deeper this morning. He wants to bring growth. Like like God wants you to become a mature follower of him. God wants you to progress in holiness this morning. Like if you're in the room and you feel like you're dirty and nasty and feel like you need to be cleaned up, like God wants you to see that he has a better view of you than you have of yourself And he wants you to grow. He wants you to be able to withstand whatever this world throws at you. He wants you to be able to be rooted and planted in love. 
So that as the world is crazy wilding out, you can stay rooted and planted and, and begin to give love away. And it leads me to the last word, healing. Healing. Man, if we're just gut level honest this morning, we walked in with a lot of bruises, a lot of wounds, a lot of hurt, a lot of things that like maybe if we get really honest this morning that we feel like we've already gotten over, but we haven't. And, and I'm just here to tell you today that God wants to heal you. Like, like really heal you. Like, like not just bring some healing, like completely heal you. Like, like some of us have bought into this big lie that says like, like I know God's like healed me a little bit and I'm going to get to heaven someday, but I'm going to be miserable on my journey there. And that's not the God of the Bible. I mean, the God of the Bible says, I want to restore you and heal you. And, and so much so that you can bring restoration and healing to the rest of the world. We haven't even gotten the text yet this morning, but I'm just telling you that these are the things that God wants to do this morning. And we want to let him have his way. Amen. Amen. Let's spend some time in prayer to our God this morning. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so kind to us. And God, we just ask for you to have your way this morning. I know you're already on the move. I'm not going to invite you here because you're clearly here. I'm just going to invite you to have your way. To, to move in, in whatever way you want to move this morning. God, I pray that you'd move through our apathy, our stubbornness, our rejection, our sin. Whatever it is, God, that you would just move through it. And God, we declare that you are bigger and better and stronger than anything that could keep us in resistance to you. So we just ask God for you to have your way, to do your thing this morning, to move mightily, and that we would mark this day as a day of salvation for some, a day of healing for others, but a day where your glory was clearly put on display. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all his people said, amen. amen. John chapter 7, starting in verse 25, we're going to pick up where Pastor Mark left off last Sunday. Uh, man, I've been following along with this John series. I love how God has been moving through everyone speaking, and just to hear the stories and testimonies of what God has done in the series has been incredible. And so last week, I was listening to, to Mark's message, you know, obviously not on Sunday, but, but throughout the week. And man, I love how, how Mark set up the context of what's happening here, because the story we're going to dive into this morning is on the tail end of what Mark was teaching us last Last week about the Feast of Booths. And Mark did a phenomenal job at setting up the context of that. And if you weren't here, that's okay. Uh, I just want to give you a refresher on what the Feast of Booths is, because we need to know what that feast is significant for to understand the depth of what Jesus is trying to say us, to us this morning. So it's this feast that they're in the middle of, and it's this eight-day feast that started with a Sabbath and ended with a Sabbath, in which the Israelites would begin to reflect and to thank God for his provision. They would do it at the end of the harvest season to thank God for that moment, the harvest that he provided. But historically, it happened every single year so that it would be a reminder of how God provided for them as they left Egypt. So when they were in the desert wandering around and God would rain down things from heaven to provide for them, this feast was to be a constant reminder of God's faithful provision when they were in the wilderness. And so what they would do is they would build these little shacks, and this is why it was called the Feast of Booths. They would be, build these little portable booths that they would live in for a week. It was like just a big camping festival. I, I kind of picture a modern-day Renaissance fair, right? Like it's something like that, where they would begin to build these little houses, and they would live in them to remind them of that time when their life was portable, the time where they were constantly on the move. And as they would do that, they would be thankful for all that God had provided and also eagerly awaiting the Messiah that he still promised. 
So that's the heart and the perspective of them at the Feast of Booths. And there was something, there was a ceremonial thing that would happen in the midst of the feast. They would have religious leaders go down to the Pool of Shalom, and they would go down and they would get water. And as they got water, there would be these trumpets blasting and this music playing, and they would take the water and then pour it out on an altar. And what would happen in the minds of everybody watching, they would know the historical context of what was going on. That as they were giving a, an offer, a sacrifice of worship to God, they would be reminded of how God was faithful in the desert with Moses. And when Moses took his staff and struck the rock in the middle of the desert, good living water began to rush out. And so this would be the image that would conjure up in their minds when the priests would go down to that pool, get water, and they would pour it out on the altar. They'd be reminded, man, God, in the midst of a dry land, brought living water. Now, that's important this morning because Jesus is going to talk about this invitation to receive some living water. Let's look at verses 25 through 26. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, it is, not this, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? They're talking about Jesus. Like, welcome to grace this morning. We're starting off with a bang like they want to kill Jesus. It's because Jesus was constantly bucking against their system because he had a better system called the kingdom of heaven that he was trying to rain down. And so here we are, we see that, isn't this the Jesus they, they're wanting to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And they have this question, could it really be the Christ? Could it really be, could he really be the Messiah? So here, here's the reality in life. There are questions in life of which the answers have incredible impact. We know this to be true. I, I was thinking even about my own life and reflecting on big questions that have been asked of me or to me in my life that have led to incredible impact. For those of you who don't know, I moved up here 10 years ago this year, and the youth pastor before me invited me up three times to be an intern. I was like, Shrews, what? I ain't moving here. I'm from, I'm from the dirty south, baby, Atlanta, Georgia. That's where I'm from. I, Pennsylvania, what's that? I'm not moving to Shrewsbury. Never heard of it. Super long story short, I was sitting in church one day, felt super convicted. I need to move. I'd already rejected the offer three times. I called Joey and was like, hey, bro, you think I can move up? I got you. I'll figure it out. 13 days later, I packed my car up and never went back. Okay? That's what happened. So Joey answering that question with a yes changed my life. Several years later, I began to ask a question of, do I, uh, or I, be, I actually didn't begin to ask. I, I led to a point where I did ask my now wife, hey, will you marry me? Dangerous question. <laughs> the answer was going to make a huge impact on my life. I felt pretty confident what the answer was, but we all know, dudes, when we get to that moment, like, I really hope she says yes. Thankfully, she said yes. It radically changed my life. Second greatest decision I ever made in my life, aside from following Jesus. A few years later, we had already had Hadley. We uh, found out, like, we had just gotten back from a mission trip to Haiti. I had just gotten back, and my wife picked me up from here, and I could tell something was up, right? She's acting kind of weird. And in my head, I'm like, she's pregnant. <laughs> I just had this sense. And so she goes, hey, babe. And I'm like, you're pregnant, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I just found out 10 minutes ago. That's how that conversation went. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Boom, popped out Kingsley, love her to death. The answer to that question changed my life. There's another question we're all asking right now. When are they going to finish Mount Rose Avenue? <laughs> Here's the reality, never. We've all come to the conclusion that it ain't happening. 
And I'm kind of convinced at this point, it's for the better because the improvements they have made, right, are just quite frankly kind of confusing. <laughs> and it's put Southern New York on the map, baby, like our roads are crazy, you know? But we're all wondering, the answer to that question could or may change our lives. Right, here's a question that, you know, insight into my weird, crazy life that I often am asking in my own household because I have a three-year-old and an almost five-year-old. My three-year-old, they've gotten potty trained, praise God. But here's the thing, my, my three-year-old is still a little wild, okay? So she'll go in and go to the bathroom. And, you know, I'm doing my own thing. And so I'll just hear, like, off in the distance, hey, daddy. What? I peed. My next question is, where? <laughs> the answer to that question is going to impact my day on a significant level. Praying it's in the toilet, not on the floor. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's on the floor. Here's my point. There is questions in life of which the answers have great impact. The entire book of John is pointing to this one question. Who is Jesus? It's trying to answer this question. It's really the heart of what we see in these first two verses. We see them really wondering, could this really be the Christ? And if it's not the Christ, who is this man who's doing these crazy things, who's flipping the world upside down, who's speaking with an authority, who's making waves for the kingdom? Who is Jesus? And that's not just an irrelevant question for them. That's a super relevant question for you today. Who is Jesus? What you do with the person of Jesus literally changes everything. Your entire eternity rides on your answer to this question. So the reality today is there is a right answer to this question. The culture would tell you Jesus can be who you want him to be. In fact, there are churches out there in the world that would tell you Jesus can be who you want him to be. By the grace of God, Grace Fellowship Church is not one of those churches. We're a church that stands on the word of God and says Jesus is who he says he is because who we make him out to be isn't always as good as who he says he is. Jesus has to be who he says he is, not who we want him to be. And he's better when he's who he is, not who we want him to be. So here is the answer to this question that we're going to begin to dissect and pick, to pick apart for the rest of our time together. Jesus is sent by the Father on mission to give us Holy Spirit because he is the Christ. It's a loaded sentence with a lot of good, rich truths for us. But this is the answer to the question. This is what Jesus is doing all throughout the book of John. Like we're talking about this idea of knowing Jesus, to, to actually know him, to believe in him, and to live a life in and through him. And it's all wrapped up in this reality that this is who Jesus is, sent by the Father on a mission to give us Holy Spirit because he is the one who, is, who we've been waiting for. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. So let's talk about it. Let's look at verses 27 through 31. But we know that there is this man, in, or where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. They had this false reality that the Messiah, that the Christ would kind of appear out of nowhere. He would be a man of mystery. And so the, the Pharisees didn't believe Jesus could be the Messiah or be the Christ because he was this ordinary carpenter who they, they had seen and been around his whole life. So there's no way this could be the Christ. At least that's what they believed. And quite frankly, they were wrong. Their own ignorance helped them miss out on the Messiah. So Jesus proclaimed, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this text, and we're going to super focus in on the words of Christ in the text. 
So, he, so Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from. He's not talking about earth, he's talking about heaven. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and, he, and him you do not know. Like, like, we have to understand the weight of that sentence. Jesus, right here, is claiming that these religious leaders who literally their entire life revolves around the person of God, so they think, Jesus is saying, you don't know God. You don't know him. You may know about him. You may think you know him. You may have convinced other people, including yourself, that you know him, but you do not know him. Why? Well, the text tells us, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Jesus is saying, you don't know God because you don't know me. So they were seeking to arrest him. This really frustrated the Pharisees, and I'm putting it lightly, to the point where they're like, how dare him? We're going to go after him. And so they sought to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. What is his hour? His hour is referring to what would happen in a few months from now when he would give his life on the cross. His hour was not here yet, and so no authority could debunk the plan of God. We're going to get to that in a moment. Yet many of the people believed in him. Like, this is the good news of this text. We see the Pharisees we've talked about in this series, right? We've talked about the curious. We've talked about the committed. But we're also now talking about the haters. Like, the religious leaders of the day were Jesus' haters, and they, they reject him. But in the midst of their rejection, we still see pockets of people believing, beginning to follow this Jesus, beginning to be curious to the point of commitment. And beginning to follow him around. And so that was happening, which, by the way, really frustrated the Pharisees. You want to add fuel to their fire? In the midst of their rejection, people are still following. And so that really, really upset them. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Mind you, Jesus has done a ton. And throughout the rest of the book of John, we're going to see more miracles that Jesus performs. And yet there was this expectation they put on him that was not really who he was. Because as they were seeking to answer, who is this Jesus, they had a predetermined answer that manipulated them into acting a certain way. But we have to see this morning, it's very simple, that Jesus is sent by the Father. Jesus is sent by the Father. Jesus never, in the book of John, lets us get too far without reminding us where he came from. He's constantly want to point, point back to his dad. I'm not here, I'm on authority. I'm not here on my own accord. I'm here because he sent me. He, he's acknowledging right now where his authority comes from. It comes from his father. He tells them that they don't know God because they don't know Jesus. Because he's, he's trying to explain to them, me and my father are so tight. We're so connected. We're so of one accord that if you reject me, you're rejecting my father. This was a scandalous message in the day. It's still one today. But this is what Jesus wants us to see, that his authority is not coming from himself. It's coming from his dad. Here's another way I want to say it this morning. Jesus brings clarity to the mystery of God. We have a very, uh, we have a God who is a God of mystery. But he's not mystic. He's not mysterious in the way the world often paints him, or, or quite frankly, how we can often paint him. Like, when we say God is mysterious, we're not saying that he's vague or, or off in the distance. We're saying he's magnificently holy. He's other than, he's like nobody else. He, he's hard to wrap our minds around. That's what we mean when we say he's a mystery. But he is so concerned about having that mystery revealed to us that he gives us Jesus. 
He's not wanting to stay off on the sidelines of history. He's not wanting to, to kind of punt his image away. He wants us to, to see clearly who he is. He wants us to get close to him so he comes close to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus brings clarity to the mystery of the Father. Everything. This is not an overstatement. Everything. God wants you to know about himself is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything. The question is, are we looking to Jesus to understand the heart of the Father? Because that's what God wants for us. God sent Jesus to us so that we could know God. Like, if you want to know God's heart for you, it's Jesus. Like, if you want to know God, how God feels about you, it's Jesus. Like, if you want to know what God is up to on planet Earth today, it's Jesus. And for some of us sitting in the seats, you're like, okay, preacher, dude, you're just giving a Christian band-aid called Jesus over this thing, and you're going to be vague and move on. No, I'm not. Like, that's really the answer. It's Jesus. But let me prove it to you. Let me go a little deeper when I say it's Jesus. Like, he gives us the word of God to see the actions of Jesus so that we can wonder, hey, how would, Jesus, how would God feel about this? How would God act in that scenario? How would God interact with that type of person? And we read the scriptures and we get the very heart of God the Father in the actions of his son, Jesus. So that's why it's important for us to study books like John and to see the character and nature of Jesus because it gives us a view, a clear view of the Father. So the question for us this morning is, how does Jesus want to bring clarity about the Father to you? The most important thing or important way God wants to relate to you as, is as Father. I'm going to say that to you again. The most important way God desires to relate to you is as Father. That's why many of us who walked in the room this morning have a jacked up view of fatherhood. That's why our world is going after fatherhood. That's why the devil doesn't like dads. It's because there's one in heaven who's perfect and he knows if he can distort the image of earthly fathers, it will jack up our view of our heavenly one. And yet what God is after in the person of Jesus is redeeming the world's view of him as father. Like when, when we're talking about inviting you into following Jesus, we're talking about inviting you into sonship. The most important part of your identity follower of Jesus is that you're a son or a daughter. Like if you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're not inviting you into a list of rules and regulations. We're not inviting you into a clique or a cult. We're inviting you into a family where you can be a son or a daughter of the God of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, you can be his child today. And you can walk in that identity and that authority. You know what it's like to be a son or a daughter of a good dad? It's incredible. Think about if your dad was the one who painted the stars in the sky. Think about the comfort and joy and peace and life you can live when you know that you know you're a son or a daughter of his. And so Jesus wants... Think about it. Who is Jesus? The Son of God, who's here to get us back to the Father and show us how to be sons. Like Jesus' mission, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, is to get us back to the Father and show us how to be his children. How to submit willingly and gladly, how to have joy in the midst of persecution, how to, how to reach out to those who are on the fringes, because that's what the heart of the Father is. How does Jesus want to bring clarity to the Father in your heart today? And maybe right now you don't view God as father. And I'm just telling you today, part of what Jesus wants to do is to fix that. 
there, there's a plethora of reasons we could have walked in here and not viewed God properly as Father, but God is so concerned about that view that you have of him as Father that he was willing to give his only son. He really wants you to know how he feels about you as Father, that he loves you. Like child of God in the room, he's pleased with you. This may be scarily comforting. He knows. He knows. Like he knows what you brought in here today. He knows how you acted on the way to church. He knows that sin you committed yesterday. The one that's been debilitating you for years, he knows. And he's still pleased with you. He still comes after you. Like the, God, the heart of God the Father is so tender and so kind and so loving to you. It's not cold, hardened, and calloused like we often believe. We must look to the reality that Jesus is sent by the Father because Jesus gives a clarity to the mystery of the heart of God the Father. And yet the Pharisees here missed it. They missed it. Well, we know where he came from. Jesus is always trying to elevate the conversation, and yet the Pharisees missed it. Let's look at verses 32 through 36. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests, and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. This is the second time in this account where Jesus frustrated them to the point where they wanted to arrest him. So they send out people to arrest him, and Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we could not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Once again, they missed it. Jesus is pointing to his death. And even more than his death, his resurrection and ascension. He's pointing to the reality that he's going to be with the Father once more. And yet they missed it. Where is he going? He's going on vacation to the dispersion where all the Jews are uh, amongst the Greeks. He's going to preach the gospel to the Greeks. He's going to preach the good news to the Greeks. Actually, the funny thing about it is they were kind of being pr prophetic. Because what would happen is at Pentecost, when the Spirit of God would come, it would, it would empower people to then go out to the dispersion. They didn't even know what they were saying, and yet they were saying it. But my point is this, they missed it. They missed the offer that Jesus was giving them. And here's what we need to see about Jesus, that he's sent by the Father on mission. Jesus reminds them in the midst of a confrontation where they're trying to arrest him, hey, I'm on mission. I'm on mission. You can't stop me. Like, this is Jesus' kind and humble way of saying, like, try your best, but there's nothing you can do to change my Father's will. There's nothing you can do to change his plan. And here's the good news for us this morning. Nothing can stop Jesus from accomplishing his mission. Nothing. Including that thing right now that you think can stop it, cannot stop it. Throughout human history, God has had a ton of knuckleheads who've tried to screw it up, and he's still gotten it accomplished. What makes you think you're the knucklehead that'll stop him this time? Nothing can stop his plan. His mission will always be brought to completion. Right? There's no setbacks. There's no uh, time things that are, that are prohibiting him. It's not like Mount Rose. Like God's plan will always be accomplished in the person of Jesus. And this is good news for us this morning because that's not only true for them, it's true for us. No thing and no one can keep God from doing what he wants to do in your life. And I want to say that to you this morning in a way that brings 
encouragement and joy to your soul. There's no sin you can commit that'll keep God from loving you. That's scandalous. That's crazy to hear. But if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I'm just telling you, you cannot outsin the cross. It covers you. His blood is enough. You and your stubbornness and your ignorance cannot keep God from loving you. Because his love is that good. His mission is that pure and that complete. So then the question for us becomes this. What is God's mission? I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but Luke 4, 18 through 19, Jesus gives us his mission statement. I highly encourage you to check it out. He says things like this. I'm here to preach good news to the poor. I'm here to proclaim freedom to the captives. I'm here to give sight to the blind, release the oppressed, proclaim God's favor. That's what Jesus is here to do. That's the mission of the Father that's accomplished in Jesus. And how does Jesus accomplish it? His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, a.k.a. the gospel. It's, it's Jesus' life. We, we often want to focus in on Jesus died for me, which is amazing, but he also lived for you too. And if he didn't live for you, his death doesn't mean that much to you. But he lived for you. He lived perfectly for you. He was flawless in his living. Not only did he set the standard for you, but he, he literally was perfect so that his sacrifice would actually mean something. He was sinless, pure in every way. And then he died for you. He died for you because you deserved death. Your sin made you an offender and an enemy of God. And there was wrath that should have been yours and mine, but Jesus died for you so that wrath could be his. And so that his life in perfection would be made full in his death and paying for the, the sins and the payment that we deserve to pay. But here's the great news. Paul tells us if Jesus is still dead, we're wasting our lives. But Easter Sunday is still today, church. He's risen. He's alive. And he's living right now and he's active. And he's on the move. But he didn't stay here. He ascended. We, we often miss this part of the gospel when you think about where is Jesus today? Like, that's a very important question because he's not here. He's not. He, he went to be with his father. He's now sitting at the right hand of his dad, ruling and reigning, and everything is subject to him. And he's making a place for you and me. Like, Jesus would make everybody on HGTV jealous because right now he's making a place for you. He's, he's, throw, he's getting together everything he needs to throw a ceremony and a party on your wedding day with him. And he's preparing a place for you because you're his bride. And he's the mediator. Right now he's mediating and he will for all of eternity between you and the Father. And he's the one that draws you close. He's on mission. And he's on mission right here. It's telling us to get back to the Father. And yet they missed it. That's why Jesus came here. That's so why Jesus lived, died, resurrected so that he could ascend again. He could go back and be with his dad because he knows one day he's going to come and get us and get us back to his dad forever. He's on mission. And what he's looking at, at the Pharisees in the eyes, he's saying, I dare you to try to stop my dad. You can't. And I hope that brings you some encouragement today as the world is drastically against what God is trying to do, that we don't feel like we're, we're losing. Like, here's the reality throughout all of Christian history. When it seems like we're taking L's, we're really taking dubs. Like, when it seems like we're losing, we're really winning. Because the kingdom of God is upside down. It's not like the world. And so I just think God wants to infuse us with some courage this morning to know that, like, there's nothing. 
The Bible tells us this way, there's neither height nor depth nor angel nor demons nor anything in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What makes you think you can stop him? Like, I just want to speak to you this morning in your thoughts. Like, what makes you think you're unworthy? Like, if angels and demons can't stop God's love from you, for you, what makes you think the fact that you think you're unworthy could stop him? What makes you think that, like, the way that you treated somebody is going to keep him from coming after you? Your regret, your guilt, and your shame is not powerful enough to keep God from loving you. Because his love is that good. Jesus is on mission. And guess what? He's inviting us in to be a part of it. Because he wants this gospel message to come in and to change our hearts from the inside out so that it can go out. Like the goal of this, this morning, I don't know if you realize that, is not to gather here. Like this is a part of the goal. This is amazing. We're so thankful that you're here and you're tuning in online. But here's the reality. This is only successful if we leave and go out and go on mission. And we go out and make disciples, and we go and tell people about the good news of Jesus, and we meet people in their pain, and we help them see that God really is there for them. That's the only way this gathering actually makes a difference. Because Jesus is on mission, and he's inviting us in to be a part of it. He wants to get the gospel out to the whole world. And guess what? He wants to use you. Like, isn't that crazy humbling? That God's plan A, because he has no plan B, is you. That as the gospel would change your heart from the inside out, you would go and you would tell. And, and in the places you don't think you're qualified for. I'm a pastor of a church in York City where 25% of the city speaks English as a second language. You want to know what I got in Spanish in high school? A 28. <laughs> like, not on a test, on the class. And I've sat back and I'm, God, why me? Like, I'm able to, to, to minister to Hispanic people who, honestly, at times I don't understand, right? Who, you, you, think, you think your 28 is going to keep you from making an impact in New York City? You're cute. <laughs> God uses the foolishness of the world to shame the wise. It's the foolishness of the gospel that changes the world. So I'm just telling you right now, you're not too whatever to be used by God. Because you know what the secret ingredient to God's strength is? Your weakness. It's your weakness. You know what makes God look dope and awesome and amazing? Your weakness. Paul tells us, in fact, to boast in our weakness. I boast in my 28 in Spanish class. Because I've learned from it. And I've learned that God is the God of the impossible. And there's nothing that can keep him from accomplishing his mission. So here's the next question for us. How does God want to bring you more in alignment with the mission of Jesus? Here's one of the dangerous things we've done, and specifically American Christianity. We've asked this question too much. What does God want for my life? I'm not, I'm not here to claim that that's a bad question. The problem with asking that question too much is that we put precedence to that question over the most important question is what is Jesus doing and how can I be a part of it? Because that's what he wants for your life. He doesn't want to start something new with you. He wants to do what he's already been doing for thousands of years, which is bring lost people to him through you. 
And so he's wired you a certain way, giving you certain passions, giving you a family, giving you a career path, giving you hobbies and interests, not so you can go do this new fresh thing, but so you can get in alignment with what he's already doing and that it would multiply out. Don't hear me say to not ask that question, but make sure you're asking the other question more. God, what are you doing? What have you been doing? Like, it would have been very arrogant of me to go into York City and be like, okay, God, the gospel's not here. I'm going to bring the gospel. Finally, the gospel's coming to York City. You know how ignorant and arrogant that is? The gospel's been in York City for years. It's been changing people for years. So my invitation is not to come and bring the gospel to York. It's to partner with what God's already been doing. And we found a lane and we're running in it. And we're running in it because we got other people running in other lanes that I don't have to run in. And we can lock arms and we can run together and we can make a greater impact than me trying to do it all. And that's what God wants for you. Let that bring some encouragement today. Take the weight off of yourself on figuring out what God wants you to do with your life. Love him and love other people. Wherever you're at, whatever context you're in, whatever house you live in, whatever family you've been given, whatever job you have, whatever grocery store you go to, whatever game you're playing online, Whatever school you're at, like where you're at is where you are and where you're at is where the gospel can be. Don't get so caught up in where he wants you to be and miss where you're at. He's on mission and he wants to use you. So how does your life need to come more in alignment with what God is up to here on earth? Because his mission actually leads to something incredible. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is sent by the Father on mission to do what? Give us Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' primary goal while he was here on planet Earth. Well, no, Alex, it's to save us. Exactly. Giving us Holy Spirit and saving us are actually the same thing. The text says, anyone who comes to me and and drinks of me, aka believes in me, there will be rivers of living water flowing out of you. So in that moment, when you believe in Jesus, what the Bible just told us is that rivers of living water flow out of you. And, and if you're not sure what that means, I love the Bible because it tells us in verse 39, I'm talking about Holy Spirit, that they didn't get yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And I have some really good news this morning. He's been glorified. Right. Acts chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was glorified, that he went back to the Father. And then on that day, he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And tongues of fire broke out and 3,000 people got saved because the gospel was preached. Repentance happened. They were baptized. And that was the start of the church. Jesus has been glorified. So what does that mean for you and me? If you have faith in Jesus, you have rivers of living water flowing out of you. If you're not saved today, you get to have living water flowing out of you if you put your faith in Jesus. Doesn't that sound better than how we often paint the gospel? Well, you can get, you can punch your ticket to heaven and be cool with God. This is way better. That's like lowballing the gospel. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to put my spirit in you so you can go be a game changer. You can push the gates of hell back and watch people who were headed to hell come and be with me forever. That's what he's talking about. That's Jesus' mission was to give us the Holy Spirit. But let's focus in on what Jesus says. 
Because, man, I think this is the whole point of what Jesus is leading to in this text. It's on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast. It was on this day that they were wrapping it up, that it would be the crescendo of the week. And what they would do is that, that once again, going back to the beginning of my message, they would take that water from that pool and they would pour it on the altar. And in their minds, they would have a view of, man, God was so faithful to the Israelites through Moses when he took that staff and cracked open the rock. And water began to gush out of it. And then Jesus, on that last day, says, hey, anyone who's thirsty, anyone who can hear my voice, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And, and as you believe in me, you're going to have rivers of living water flowing out of you. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you thought my dad was cool to crack open a rock in the desert? Watch what he happens when he gives you the spirit. You think the rock was cool. You think the water flowing out. I'm the rock. I'm the one cracked open. I'm the one resurrected. I'm the one who's alive. And I'm the one who's going to put the spirit of God in you to flow out of you. Jesus says audacious things like this. It's better for me to leave so that my spirit can come. Because you're going to do greater things with him living in you than if I'm here. Jesus wants the spirit of God in us so it can flow out of us. That's the mission of God. That's what he is up to. But notice who the invitation's for. Anyone who's thirsty. Anyone who's thirsty. Jesus knew who was in the crowd. He knew he had curious people. He knew he had followers, the committed. He knew he had doubters. He, he knew he had people all on the fringes, but he knew he had haters. He was actually directing this kind of at the Pharisees. He says, anyone who's thirsty. The question isn't, are you thirsty? It's, what are you thirsty for? Grace, what are you thirsty for? Because what Jesus is telling us that I have something that actually works. I have something that actually satisfies. Growing up in the summertime, I would play basketball with some buddies in June in Georgia, you think your boy's sweating right now. We'd play for hours on end and we'd get done playing because contrary to what you may think about me, I'm a baller. I like to play, okay? And we'd get done playing and we would just be literally exhausted and dying of thirst, right? At least that's what it felt like. And so me and my buddies would pack up in a car and we'd roll to Kroger, we'd go to the grocery store and we would all get what? Gatorade. Oh, Gatorade, right? When it's hot. Feels like it trickles down and touches your soul, right? <laughs> but we had the oddball, John Smallwood. And we knew John Smallwood was the oddball because when he got to Kroger, he would go to the back of the store in the dairy section and your boy would get a gallon of milk. <laughs> and before he even checked out, the man would peel off the top and just tilt that joker back and just chug it. And like, if you're here and you do that, like Jesus loves you, I love you, but you're weird. Like, <laughs> you're weird. And you're welcome here, but you're weird. I'm going to call you weird. John's weird. I love John. He was in my wedding, but he's weird. And here's what would happen. We'd go back and play, and we would all feel kind of good. We got the electrolytes. You know, we didn't chug it. And we're good. And John's on the sideline. <laughs> Bro, I shouldn't have chugged. <laughs> yeah. Because in the moment, it felt good coming, going down, but then it settled, and it didn't last. What are you thirsty for? Some of us have been drinking milk for far too long. And yet God's offering something way better than Gatorade. He's offering something that will actually begin to flow out of you, not just come in you. He's offering the spirit of the living God. And for so long, many of us have not understood Holy Spirit and we're scared of him. And we keep ourselves at a distance from him when in reality he lives in you. And he wants to flow out of you. And he's not scary. He's good. 
He makes Jesus look great. He gives you wisdom and clarity. He leads to life and life to the full. It actually calls him the wonderful counselor in the Bible. He's the one who helps make sense of this crazy life. We need Holy Spirit. But Jesus tells us to come to him. Not to to something else. Come to him and do what? Drink. Many of us, I think, have come to Jesus and so we got the water, we're good, but then we just leave it here. I got my Jesus, I got my water, and we leave him contained in the bottle. And what he's saying is crack open that thing and drink it. Jesus is inviting us not to just have him, but partake of him, to drink of him, to to consume of him, to be satisfied in him. And if you're asking, what does that mean? That's a great question. Think about what would have happened if people responded to this question or this invitation. Come to me and drink. People would have come up to Jesus and said, okay, I'm here. And when Jesus's response would be cool, follow me. Do what I do. Come join my clique of 12 crazy teenage boys who are going to make the world, uh, you know, just this crazy place where the gospel goes and changes the world. That's what it means to come and drink. It's not to just consume one time. It's to daily come back to the well that never runs dry. It's to consume of Jesus moment by moment, day by day, to start a relationship with him where you are a disciple of his, meaning you follow him. When he says jump, you say how high. When he says go, you say where, and you follow in his footsteps. And over time, you become more and more like him. That's what it means to come and drink. It's to find your satisfaction fully in Jesus and nowhere else. But I'm just telling you, it makes no sense to drink of Jesus and try to drink of the world. You cannot have two masters. Maybe some of us are in the room right now and we feel like I got one, world, or one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus, and that's why you're frustrated. That's why you're bitter. That's why you're not healed yet. That's why things seem to just not be going well. And what I'm not saying is like if you get your foot in the camp of Jesus that he's going to solve all your problems magically. But what I am saying is he's going to give you a new perspective on all those things. How do I know that's what I did for so long? My testimony is really that God in his good grace allowed me to exhaust myself by basically keeping one foot in the world and one foot in him. And he's just like, hey, man, whenever you're ready, I'm, I'm here. Oh, you're not done yet? Okay, keep running. I'm right here. I'm going to keep following you. You're going to try to go off on a ditch, and I'm going to break your legs so you don't fall off the cliff. I'm going to keep coming after you. And finally, I got so exhausted. He's like, are you ready? And he overwhelmed me with his love and grace. That's what he wants for you and for me to come and drink of him today, that you would believe in him. And Jesus promises that if we believe in him, that the rivers of living water would flow out of us that the Holy Spirit would flow out of us. Throughout all of the Bible, we see moments, like Holy Spirit, I I don't know if you realize this, Holy Spirit does not just show up in Acts 2. He's all over. He's all over the Old Testament. When it says that the Spirit of God is doing something, that's Holy Spirit. But here's what you see in the Old Testament. Before Acts 2, you see the Holy Spirit show up and come upon people or things. The Spirit of God came upon Here's what Jesus is saying can happen when we have faith because he's been glorified. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon anybody. He comes into them. Like Holy Spirit isn't just going to come upon you. He's going to come up in you and change everything about you. And as he's changing you, it's going to flow out of you and change the world. You know what makes Christianity so radical? Is that it changes the world while it's changing you. It's not waiting till you get it all together to go and change the world. It's changing the world as it's changing you. And don't hear this invitation from Jesus like this. Come to me, but. 
This isn't a come to me, but invitation. Come to me, but make sure you actually believe. Come to me, but make sure you stop sinning. Come to me, but make sure you quit doing X, Y, or Z. No, he's just saying, come to me. And I just have crazy enough faith to believe that when you come to him, he's going to change all those things. He's going to actually give you a new heart, give you a new perspective, help you see that sin is wrong. Help you see that relationship's unhealthy. Help you see that addiction is killing you and other people around you. But Jesus never goes after our behavior modification before he goes after heart transformation. Don't get it twisted. Christianity tells us that Jesus will change our behavior, but it's always after he changes our heart. Because he knows that if you don't have a changed heart, your behavior changing doesn't matter. That's why he's frustrated with the Pharisees. Because they wanted physical transformation in the lives before the heart was changed. And that's not how Jesus rolls. But he's promising that this river, listen, the, the, the text here, I, I could go just so many different directions, but I'll, I'll shorten it with this. It's not a river, it's rivers. It's rivers. It's rivers. So in other words, Christian, God wants to have rivers flowing out of you and me and each other, and we want to link up, and these rivers are going to create a current that nothing can stop. And these rivers, it actually points to Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to try to paraphrase it as quickly as I can, though. There's a vision that Ezekiel is getting about the restoration that God's going to bring to the land. At the end, we see the last piece is this river flowing from the temple. And we learn a few things about the river. The more Ezekiel gets into the river, the deeper it gets. It starts at his ankles, gets to his knees, gets to his waist, and then he has to swim in it. The river gets deeper the longer he's in it. We see that in the river there's life. There's fish on the banks of the river. There's a net being cast out and they're catching life. We also see that on the embankments of the river there's trees and lush vegetation growing and that there's fruit and leaves of these trees that are providing growth, nourishment, and healing. Let's go back to what I said God's going to do this morning. As he pours out his spirit, he's going to bring life. Because you know who the temple is? It's you. You're the temple, and the water's flowing from you, and in that water, it gets deeper over time. The more you're in Christ, the crazier he seems in the best way possible. His grace seems better than it was 10 years ago. His love seems deeper than it was 10 years ago. Like, like you can go deeper with him. You can experience more vibrancy in life. You can experience growth. Like when you hang out with Jesus, your life will change. I'm not the same knucklehead that moved up here. I'm a different guy. Because God has changed me. He wants to change you. And he wants to heal you. Like he wants to heal you today. Like I want that word to hit all of us this morning. He wants to heal you. And you feel like maybe you're not worthy of healing or that it's too big for God to heal. And I'm just telling you, what's a cup of water to the wildfire of God? Like he can heal you. He can change you. He can restore you physically, mentally, spiritually. In a moment, he can heal you. And that's what he wants to do. He's not hesitant like, well, I guess I might want to heal him today because Alex just keeps talking about it. No. Even if I doubt he can heal you, he can heal you. Will you come and drink? Because at this moment, the offers on the table that they see that the promise that Jesus is making is the reality of now those who believe in him. But look at the people's responses. They heard this word and they said, man, some people said this really is the prophet. And they were right. This is the prophet. This is the mouthpiece of God because it is God. Some said this is the Christ. They got it right. They nailed it. He is the Christ. Is the Christ coming from Galilee? 
Has not, the off, or has not the scripture said that, that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? By the way, Jesus did. They just missed it. The village where David was, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but none laid hands on him because his authority came from God. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. See, Jesus is sent by the Father on mission to give us Holy Spirit because he is the Christ. We get to the end of this story, and what we see is we see people who were sent by the Pharisees to arrest Jesus, and they get to Jesus, they hear him talking, and they're like, I can't arrest this dude. So they go back to the Pharisees, and they're like, why didn't you arrest this dude? And their jaws are on the floor, and they're like, I've never heard anybody talk like him. Like they were so floored that they were on a mission to arrest him and his words stopped him. No one's ever spoke like this man. You want to know why no one's ever spoken like this man, nor ever will? Because no one else is the Christ. Like, I don't know about you, but I want to be done with a Christianity that says God just wants to save me, but not heal me. I want to embrace a Christianity that says it's going to flip the world upside down and change people and get heaven, not just not get them to heaven, but get heaven to them. I mean, that's what we want to see happen this morning is heaven touch earth in this room. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do know this, that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to be in control. He's the one who's going to take over. He's the one that's going to have his way. And so we're just praying that you would be obedient to the call of Holy Spirit on you right now. If you need to stay in your seat and pray, pray. If you need to gather with a group of people around you, maybe even just your family, then take some time and pray. But at this time, I'm going to invite the people who are going to be available. They're around the room. You can kind of see them. They're going to be available. I'll be up front here. Man, come and find somebody. Let the Spirit of God move you to a place of obedience this morning and watch what he does. He's a good God. He's a good God. Let me pray as we lead into this time. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. God, I just right now pray against any feeling of unworthiness in the room. God, may the sons and daughters in the room here this morning that you love them, that you're pleased with them, that you're so proud of them, and all of that has nothing to do with their behavior. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I pray against a spirit of skepticism in the room. Pray against the spirit of doubt in the room. I pray against the spirit of rejection in the room. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with your love. Overwhelm us with your grace. Overwhelm us with your mercy. Holy Spirit, have your way. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.